Coming up on Philosophy Talk. There's no cultural view of what is taboo that is self-standing and that proves itself. Are human taboos culturally based? My favorite taboo of that sort is bug eating. I mean, obviously, there are cultures where bugs are delicious. Are some things merely wrong, while other things are truly taboo? Does every culture distinguish between what is sacred and what is profane? Even if you do believe in God, there is a question. How do you tell what is his turf and whether there is any sort of turf that he is telling you to stay totally out of? Is nothing sacred anymore? Our guest is Cora Diamond from the University of Virginia. There never has been a culture which has been in a position to say our forms of repugnance correspond to the truth. Recorded in front of a live audience at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. The important and the truly sacred. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, we're coming to you from Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today's program is part of Pacific University's 15th Annual Undergraduate Philosophy Conference. Welcome, everyone, to Pacific, and welcome to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're asking the question, is nothing sacred anymore? Holding something sacred is often associated with religious beliefs and God. Some things are held to be sacred because God cares about them. He's given commands and expressed his wishes, and we have to respect those and hold certain things sacred, not do certain things. But our question is really about what happens to those ideas in the contemporary world when God and religion are losing their grip on people, or at least people don't want to rely entirely on just appeals to God and religion. Is there some kind of convincing rationale for holding things sacred in our more or less secular age? For, for example, most people would agree, I think, that life, human life, is sacred. Now, some people think this is explained by God's wishes, but others might think that there's just something about human life itself. Intrinsically, God's commandment might be one explanation, but it's not the only explanation. And being sacred is connected with taboos. If something is sacred, there are certain things you don't do to it or with it. Such things are taboo. Uh, when something's taboo, John, it's not simply wrong on balance. It's just out of the question. It's not to be considered at all. It's off limits. For example, everyone agrees more or less in the abstract about freedom of expression. But burning a Koran, even the most civil libertarian of Muslims, might think that that's just beyond the pale. Or consider the artwork that involves placing a crucifix in Europe. To many, that just seems taboo. And others who might not feel as taboo think, well, whatever idea you're expressing, why don't you find some better way of expressing it? So that suggests, at least, that for lots of people, at least, some things are still sacred, some of which aren't tied to any particular religion at all. For example, necrophilia. I think it's pretty much taboo everywhere. I think even here in Portland, Ken. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there is something sacred about human life and death. 
pedophilia is taboo. So there's also something sacred about children. Right, right. So when we say uh, pedophilia is taboo, we're not just saying, well, those are unlive white choices. No, we're saying that's simply out of bounds. And there are things that, at least in my humble opinion, ought to be held sacred, even if they aren't universally held sacred. The earth should be held sacred, and, and despoiling it in the way we too often do should be a serious taboo. Okay, John, we've got that people take things to be sacred, take some things to be off-limits and taboo, but here's the real question, the hard question, the philosophical question. Why? What makes something sacred? If we can't give a religious explanation for sacredness and taboos, what explanation or justification can we give? Okay, you're going to say, pedophilia is wrong because of the way it ruins lives. That's plausible. But think of something like necrophilia that you just mentioned. Well, what justifies a horror at it? It doesn't directly cause any pain, presumably. I mean, right? The main <laughs> ill effect... Another show. We'll have another yeah. show on that. The, the main <laughs> ill effect would seem to be disgust, horror, maybe self-loathing at having done the act. But these effects aren't because it is taboo. Not, they're not the explanation for it being taboo, right? What makes it taboo? Yeah, that taboo causes the disgust. It's not something independently of that. You know, Ken... We're really, as we often do, stumbling back into re-examining one of Plato's famous problems. In the Euthyphro, he discusses impiety. And he asks the questions, or Socrates asks the question for him, are acts impious because the gods say they are? Or the gods noticing something about the acts and therefore regarding them as impious? If it's the latter, if there's something about the acts that even the gods should notice and tell us not to do because of that thing, then we ought to be able to find that thing independently of the gods. We ought to have some concept of the sacred and the impious and the taboo that's independent of the gods. If we can make secular sense of impiety, then the answer to our questions can be some things can be held sacred okay, even in our so, secular world. So we've got the challenge, we've got the question, now let's figure out what the answer is. And to help us with the answer, we'll be joined soon by Cora Diamond. She's a professor of philosophy and law emeritus from the University of Virginia. And we'll want our live audience here at Pacific University to join in the conversation too. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash learns more about the psychology of taboos and are discussed at them, she files this report. What we consider taboo varies by culture. In Portland, Oregon, there's no shortage of people living taboo lifestyles. Brian Bloom is a polyamory group facilitator. He says the lifestyle definitely has its ups. I had this one occurrence where um, my wife and this other woman I was dating um, planned a surprise massage for me and they collaborated on this behind my back. But, he says, polyamory also has its downs. Having an open relationship comes with its own additional set of challenges, um, dealing with jealousy when your partner's off doing something with someone else, um, that a, a conventional monogamous closed relationship never has to confront. Beyond the logistical and emotional challenges of juggling several partners, there's the societal reaction. Most people, Bloom agrees, would be floored by his lifestyle. So what is it that keeps the rest of us from participating in the taboo? Allison Burns-Glover is a psychology professor at Pacific University. She says perhaps it's the human reaction of contempt. Moral disgust usually is linked to some sort of religious or set of rules for conduct and behavior within a social group. 
The reaction isn't totally unlike physical disgust, a biological impulse to distance ourselves from poison and disease. Humans show disgust, Glover says, by tipping back the head, closing the mouth, and flaring the nostrils. The contempt face looks pretty similar. It's that notion of the nose is up because it is revolting. It is something you want to be away from. But, Glover says, contempt is not to be confused with fear. So you don't want to be away from it in the way of danger. You want to be away from it in the way of not my in-group. I am judging you. But it comes from the same places. Uh, all that stuff in our emotion system, you know, that evolved in a place way before email. That is very, very old stuff. And so we use some of those old mechanisms to get social emotions the way we would get emotions about things that are directly harmful to our survival. So why are some among us open to a variety of new experiences and others prefer to live in more traditional ways? Why are some people able to perform open heart surgeries while others faint at the sight of blood? Individuals who score high on need for novelty and openness to experience tend to have a higher threshold for arousal and in fact need higher thresholds of arousal. So those are the bungee jumpers. And that can be very good or it can mean you're also a risk taker and risk takers we need. So before flaring a nostril at the polyamorous among us, consider that society needs the risk takers as well as the social conservatives, the surgeons and the squeamish. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.